Ah, good afternoon, citizen. Mind if I sit with you for a moment? I'm afraid this path and my travels have left my feet rather sore. Ah, thank you. So, are you heading to Anvil? You are? Ah, well, looks like you might have me to join you, at least for a short leg of the trip. There's a couple things I need to deal with in advance, but should you wish for a companion, I would gleefully take that opportunity. Oh, where are my manners? My name is Ban, Ban Shattersong. You might have heard of me, Captain of the Bloody Hand Mercenary Company. Now, I don't mean to, well, I don't mean to uh, jump straight in, but have you heard about all those kobolds? You haven't? Well, for miners, such as myself, Tempest Jade, naturally, they are po right, where do I start? Well, there was a sinkhole. There was the purchasing of said sinkhole by Lorenzo. There was the Eternal, Adamant, and, well, it kind of seems to have bubbled over a little bit. Not ringing any bells? Well, well if we're going to rest here, I might as well start from the beginning. It may seem a little peculiar that King Adamant, the Eternal, of course, has only actually been involved in our affairs, our imperial affairs, for four years. Yet since his Kabaldi servants have helped repair the Castle of Thorns last, well, few years ago in 379, at the behest of the Urizen, the Summer Eternal has been conspicuously active in offering aid to us citizens, if we're prepared to work with his peculiar little heralds. Cobalt, as well as supporting miners such as myself and helping to build or rebuild a devastated fortification in Semaholm, the Eternal has offered an opportunity to build a special college of engineering and establish an imperial citizen as the master of the Cobaldi. Quite a uh, unusual position, I might add. Construction on the college is now complete, and the first master is due to be appointed by the Imperial Conclave during the winter solstice, the one in a few weeks. Perhaps it is as much as the plenitotary sent by the Summer Archmage that has set Adamant's mind on ways that he might further assist his Imperial friends. Over the last several months, bands of Cabaldi have been enthusiastically popping up all over the Empire to peer at things, tap them with hammers, measure them, and ask wide-eyed but surprisingly specific questions of local citizens. As the winter solstice gets closer, the Cabaldi have revealed the fruits of their busy months of labour. A series of proposals for the ways the granite thorn, or at least the granite throne, excuse my Navari, <sighs> Navari dreams there, the granite throne might help the Empire to build new architectural marvels. The Heralds of the Stone Monarch, and all of these are names for King Adamant, the King Neath the Mountain, have also mentioned 
for their master intends to send an emissary to speak with the master of the Cavaldi and the Archmage of Summer, once the declaration of candidacy has been completed. You can learn a little bit more about this in, well, from following other travellers or indeed, uh, well, perhaps I could lend you my diary to have a look through some of those entries. Alas, there are a variety of options available to the Empire as a whole, and I can't help myself for having dug into them. And, well, to go into detail, let me know what you think. By order of the Master, Adamant has presented the opportunity to commission unique structures in the Empire. They can only be undertaken by the elected Master of the Cabaldi, however. It works, I, I assume, like any other commission might work. And many of these projects do not use standard materials. Only the Master of the Cabaldi, once they are appointed, can commission them. And these, um, these opportunities require the involvement of heralds and their eternal monarch. While the Senate could most likely duplicate some of the effects using an appraisal, others are entirely dependent on the involvement of the Summer Realm. Likewise, no bearer of an Imperial Wayleave a, a favour from the throne, can enlist the labour of the Cabaldi, and even the Arcane Architect and the Crystal Architect of the Spires, uh, two other positions within the Empire, cannot work adamant nor wield the magical dominion over stone that the Cabaldi enjoy. However, adamant has been rather generous and placed no time limit on the availability of his Cabaldi. The opportunities presented will be available to the Master of the Cabaldi for the foreseeable future, unless there is a significant change in circumstances. The most likely reasons for the opportunities to lapse would be if the Imperial Conclave declares Adamant an enemy of the Empire, or if the Imperial Senate abrogates or amends the powers of the Master of the Cabaldi. Or, indeed, if the College of Engineering in Temeshwar is no longer in Imperial hands. Uh, quite a quite a far-flung possibility, I must admit. It's also worth noting that while the Master of the Cabaldi can only commission one project each season, they don't have to wait for one to finish before they can commission another one. There are, after all, a lot of Cabaldi. Once work begins, the usual regulations and rules will apply for a commission and anyone can contribute materials toward their completion. But unlike more traditional commissions, these opportunities use materials that are significantly more diverse than mithril, white granite, or weirwood, what we Imperials would typically use for our sinecures and grand structures. The Delver in the Deeps, again, this means adamant, and uh, apologies Traveller, I'm going to keep using all of these superfluous names just to nail them into my own head and perhaps yours, should you not be aware of them. Regardless, Adamant loves gold, silver, and precious gems of every kind. He has little interest in rings, crowns, and thrones, but the things he does like can usually be purchased on the open market. As such, the monetary costs of these commissions is represented as the need to buy treasure rather than labour costs. You see, Imperial labourers will take coin, these Cabaldi and Adamant himself will take their payment in gems and gold and silver. 
something we'll need to buy with imperial taxes, of course. But, regardless, the first option we have, now we've given you that little bit of context. The Tower of the Dragon. The Master of the Cabaldi can commission an official residence for the Archmage of Summer. It would cost 15 wains of white granite and 30 crowns worth of treasure and gems. To thank those who have made Adamant and his servants feel so welcomed, the Cabaldi have proposed to build a jeweled tower of Adamant himself that would serve as a residence for the Summer Archmage. The tower would be built of unbreakable adamant with windows of reinforced tempest jade, a beautiful material. The Cabaldi would provide the material themselves along with all of the labour. It would contain living chambers, offices and a sealed vault specifically for the use by the Archmaid to protect their valuables. The tower would have two gates, one flanked by statues of Archmage Corvus of Arisen and Archmage Andreas Grimani of Varushka, and the other by the highborn Archmages Solomon and Luke. The tower will be located near a summer regio that can be used by Adamant to create a portal into the mines of the summer realm where the Cabaldi throng. As a consequence, in addition to providing an effectively indestructible and impenetrable home for the summer Archmage, they would be able to receive emissaries from the deep summer realm of the Mountain King. Again, Mountain King meaning adamant. This would give the summer archmage a new power. They would be able to trade ingots of Tempest Jade for magical jewels that enhance the use of summer magic, something the Cabaldi believe will further help the archmage to support their brethren, their brethren being the summer magicians in the Empire. This would function as a ministry, in our terms, that the Archmage could use to acquire a small number of these, um, oh, let me, let me cast my memory back, Mountain Heart Stones and Deep Glimmers. New items that, so far, at least I as an artisan, have not been privy to the details of. In the unlikely event for Adamant, will ever become subject to a declaration of enmity by the Imperial Conclave. The tower would be sealed, the Cabaldi will cease trading, and any goods the Archmage has placed in the vaults will be left on the lawn. Rather reasonable for a breakup, don't you think? Those three items, well I mentioned two, the Mountain Heart Stones and the Deep Glimmers, there will also be an item called a Stone Dragon's Eye. An orb of crystal or glass, usually golden or emerald, and sometimes with a vertical flaw in the centre that is omniscient of a cat's eye. The effect of this dragonized stone is that each summer magician will feel an urge to create or build something using whatever they can lay their hands on for at least an hour. So if you see any uh, frantic Summer Mage is trying to build, well, maybe trying to put up their tent again, then perhaps you know that a Stone Dragon's Eye has been involved. The second option is the Gildenheim Deep Forge. Now the Master of the Cabaldi, again an Imperial citizen this time, can commission a subterranean forge in Gildenheim. 
cost would be 30 wains of white granite and 60 crowns of treasure, and it will take three months to complete. The smith at the Deep Forge would be able to oversee the creation of a number of unique magic items, and could use Ilium to create schema of those items. Schema are the, uh, the blueprints, if you will, for magical items. And the value of schema cannot be understated, for once they are codified, they are made available to the Empire at large and using our state education systems and, well, artisans, Navari artisans such as myself, traveling and sharing our knowledge, we can educate the entirety of the Empire's artisans in how to make new magical items, something that is extremely valuable and extremely interesting to one such as myself. There is a ruined runeforge below Gildenheim that was uh, discovered by chance in the autumn of 379. The Cabaldi are very excited when they learn of it and spend some time poking around the ruins with long, suffering Imperial Orc guides. After actually examining the thing, the Cabaldi attitude changes dramatically. They become secretive, huddling together for hurried conversations in their own hissing, yipping tongue, and casting worried glances around the ruins. Eventually, cause of their concern becomes apparent. They nervously reveal that as near as they can tell, most of the workings of the Runeforge are horribly cursed. Once back in more wholesome tunnels, however, their dark mood quickly lifts, and by the time they reach the streets of Gildenheim again, they are already chattering enthusiastically about how best to make use of the dreadful ruins. If instructed to do so by the master of the Cabaldi, they will widen and reinforce the caverns and the passages that lead to them, creating stairs and expanding the delve as only a Cabaldi can. They would dispose safely of any components of the Runeforge that are too dangerous to use, and repurpose the rest to create a potent, magically enhanced subterranean forge dedicated to creating magic items for Imperial Orcs. To be on the safe side, they have liaised with the scholars at the Legion's Rookery to incorporate images of the appropriate Imperial Orc ancestors and to keep a watchful eye out for any lingering maledictions. The Cabaldi themselves would help in the forges as long as they are welcome, but even in their absence, the facilities they created would continue to serve Imperial Orc smiths and artisans. Indeed, by serving as a place where Imperial Orc artisans could come together, and share their knowledge with one another, it provides a significant opportunity. This project would revolve around the status of the ruined Runeforge, and in its place create a potent ministry. A smith at the Deep Forge, the, uh, I guess the working title, the owner of this Runeforge, would need to be appointed to oversee it, and each season they would be able to use Tempest Jade green iron, dragon bone, and orichalcum to forge magic items with which to outfit imperial orc champions that reflected the unique understanding of the many strands of imperial orc crafting that have developed over many years. With access to Ilium, it would even be possible to create schema for these items, allowing their manufacture to be mastered and made outside the deep forge as well, as I touched upon earlier. How that smith at the Deep Forge would be appointed 
is a matter for the master of the Cabaldi to determine when they announce the commission. The advice of the civil service is that the well-worn path would most likely be the tally of votes by the imperial force. The structure is intended to aid imperial orc legions and the votes of those who command military units that have supported imperial armies thus seems appropriate. Of course, the master of the Cabaldi could be bought off or uh, decide any other system of electing a smith of the deep forge that suits their fancy. I guess only time will tell. Once complete, the deep forge would continue to function regardless of whether adamant were considered an ally or enemy of the empire, unlike the archmage's tower. There are well, I've been made aware of a uh, a variety, you could call it a list, a dossier of the Imperial Orc items that would be available in that Runeforge. However, as a non-Orc myself, I don't give a rat's ass. So, I will skip those items and should you be interested, I'm sure talking to an Imperial Orc artisan would get you the answers you require. We might even run onto one on the road. Now, the Deep Worm Airy, a third option. The Master of the Cabaldi could commission a special ministry in the mountains of Miyakova, uh, in Varushka, overlooking the icy crag of the Eternal Sun. In addition to providing protection to the college and the region of Srodcha, it would grant additional benefits the master of ice and darkness. Patronage of the icy crag of the eternal sun is fought over by the summer eternals and Adamant himself has thrown his hat into the ring. Yet Adamant is also a pragmatic creature, at least as regards contests, and appears to approve of the college regardless of which lord of summer serves as its patron. A small band of Cabaldi appear at Volchatrava, in the middle of the snowstorm, their topaz and emerald scales buried beneath copious layers of fur and wool. Once they have warmed up a little, they launch several expeditions into the area surrounding the village and the college, under the careful gaze, of course, of the Grimani family to ensure they do not stray from the road or get themselves eaten by wolves. After a fortnight, as guests of the village and the college, the Cabaldi present a shocking proposal. They want to construct an airy to carve a giant draconic face into the side of one of the mountains overlooking Volchitrava and Alodni. They have already consulted storytellers, wise ones and wardens alike, and there is an agreement that no dark spirit is associated with the peak. More importantly for the Cabaldi, there is a summer regio aligned with adamant within the mountain's caves. Constructing the airy will not be cheap though. It would require 30 wains of white granite and 60 crowns of treasure. But once it was complete, the dragon of the glimmering depths would send some of his deep worms through it to live within the mountain. The Cabaldi describe these deep worms as impressive majestic creatures with Massive lizard-like serpents almost, with four pairs of taloned legs, 
and scales of deep midnight blue. Fed almost exclusively on Tempest Jade, they are able to exhale gouts of thunderous energy at any who dare to try and stand against them. While they cannot exist for long in the mortal world, they are terrible engines of destruction that would certainly fight to protect the College of Magic, regardless of who looked to it for patronage. As a consequence, should any army attempt to conquer the region of Shrodka in Miyakova, the Deep Worms would fight to defend it. Furthermore, while it seems unlikely Shrodka would be attacked at any time soon, there would be additional benefits for the Master of Ice and Darkness. As well as the prestige of having their college watched over by Dragonkin, the Kabaldi will teach some of the professors at the college how to use the scales that fall from those worms to brew unique magical elixirs. As long as the deep worms are well fed with Tempest Jade, the Master of Ice and Darkness would receive doses of several potions, valuable to magic users, both Battle Mage and Master of Summer Lore alike. One of the elixirs, the Deep Scale Tonic, is of particular interest. As potent as Iron Blood Tonic, but rather than distancing a drinker from their emotions, it arouses those emotions in them similar to those created by the unbreakable behemoth's strength ritual. However, both of these benefits would be lost if adamant were placed under enmity by the Imperial Conclave. An interesting opportunity and, well, as an apothecary myself, I'm sure those uh, additional potions would come in handy, at least in some aspects. There are also, now apologies Traveller for I've not allowed you to get a word in edgeways but I simply must get this off my chest. There are also three great beasts, three opportunities that exist to build large magical structures in Mornwald, in Hanmark and in Weirwater. Each statue is a separate commission, a, a great work that provides additional prosperity to mines in the territory. And each great beast, these literal beasts, will cost 40 wains of white granite and 80 crowns in gold and jewels. Quite an expense. For light in the depths is a patron of miners and mine owners. How else can the dragon in darkness fill his gleaming hoard with the fruits of the deep earth without miners? In the past, Adamant has offered to send his servants to aid mine workers, but as with the winter solstice approaching, the Cabaldi propose something a little more permanent that also plays into their master's well-known affection for giant stone statues. After a lot of animated discussion and a lot of conversation with tired miners, well, they've laid out plans for enchanted statues that will bring prosperity to the mine owners in three specific territories. While each of the great works has obvious utility, one the Cabaldi foreman mentions in an offhand way that completing construction of one of the statues would be an indicator to adamant of how seriously the Empire takes the business of securing the treasures of the earth. Doing so would no doubt encourage their master to consider additional boons related to the operation of mines, perhaps similar to those he has already offered involving white granite or relating to familiar summer magic rituals such as Delve Deep 
beneath the mountain. The black boar is the first beast. Proposed for Mornwald in the marches, the Cavaldi have a plan for a massive black stone statue of a boar in the hills south of Sarcombe. The black boar would harness the power of a summer regio and use it to offer strength and protection to miners across the territory. One local landskeeper has pointed out that the proposed location in the southern hills means that one could draw imaginary lines on the map linking the black boar, the old pig in Freemore, and the broken crowned stag statue in Green March, known as High Courage, and that the line between the two pigs passes right through the singing caves. But the Cabaldi say that this is probably just a coincidence, of course, and once completed, every mine in Mornwald, owned and operated by a marcher, would share a bounty of 50 green iron ingots each season. The Alabaster Owl Beast is the next mighty statue, proposed for Weirwater in Dawn. The Cavaldi proposed to build an immense white stone statue of a mandola, a great beast associated in heraldic magic with strength, straightforwardness and practicality. Again harnessing the power of a summer regio, the statue would be built in Wickmore on top of a hill to the northwest of the Weirwater Vales, so that it would easily be visible for miles around. The plans include the use of two massive light stones that would need to be imported from Urizen or perhaps Wintermark, which would make the Colossus especially visible at night. A beacon that would not only inspire miners, but also help to navigate the deep woods and dangerous forests of Weirwater. I don't know about you, one of the Cabaldi is reported to have said on more than one occasion, but all these trees do my head in. How do you people ever manage to go anywhere without getting lost? You'll have to excuse my Cabaldi impression. I always assume they have quite nasally voices. Anyway, once completed, the Alabaster Owl Beast will provide every mine in Weirwater with a share in a bounty of 900 rings. A fearsome amount of cash. Representing precious metals and gemstones hewn from the earth, alongside the magical materials the mines also produce, and the sale of such materials. The final beast is the three magpies, proposed for Handmark in Wintermark. The Cabaldi have drawn up plans to sculpt a great tableau with three great magpies along the sheer rock face of the mountain known as the Rodthorn. The relief would be visible across the North Spires and, as with the other two proposals, harness the power of a summer regio. The Rodthorn Peak is notable to scholars and historians because some of the more extensive troll ruins found in northern Hanmark. And although the tableau itself would not impinge on any of the known troll workings, the construction effort would still need several tons of white stone to be carried up the mountain. But the Cabaldi are confident that this will not be especially difficult. They are very good with cranes and working in dangerous environments. Once complete, the three magpies would provide every mine in Handmark with a share in a bounty of 25 orichalcum and 25 tempest jade. 
that Tempest J does get me salivating. Anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. There is another opportunity, there's quite a few in fact, called Girdle the Flame, where Adamant proposes transforming part of the court of the White Fountain into unbreakable adamant. The commission would cost 10 rings of ilium and take three months. Once the commission were complete, it would require a casting of hammers of the brilliant shore at magnitude over a hundred to complete the transformation. Now, before I dive into this, 10 rings of ilium is an eye-watering cost to the empire. Not only that, the Brass Coast and the Freeborn owned a, uh, I believe it's called the Broken Shore Bounty, a site that generated, I'd say the vast proportion of ilium on the annual schedule by the, uh, by the Empire. And having lost that to the Grendel, 10 rings of ilium now is worth a lot more than it was six months ago. So I must confess why I doubt the Girdle of the Flame will be built anytime soon. Anyway, back to Adamant. He clearly has an interest in the construction of great fortifications throughout the Empire. And in the past, his Cabaldi have been enthusiastic supporters of efforts to support the defensive value of the walls of Holberg, the Castle of Thorns in Astolat, and of course, the Court of the White Fountain. In redoubt. Built in the foothills of Optarion, it is a towering pinnacle surrounded by a massive semicircular wall that completely fills the Onyx Pass. One of only two easily accessible routes for armies to pass between redoubt and spiral. Impressive as the tower is, it pales into insignificance next to the White Fountain itself a gout of liquid fire that bursts from somewhere deep within the earth, arcs high into the air, before being gathered in a black basin and disappearing back beneath the ground again. It is said the entire citadel guard can muster in the courtyard before the fountain, and indeed that the army itself was raised here back in the earliest days of Urizen. Once upon a time, a second Urizen fortification stood across the onyx path on the slopes of Ateri. Sadly, Fort Mesudin now lies in ruins, destroyed in an awesome magical storm conjured by Grendel masters of wind magic. Between hostilities between the Empire and the Southern Orcs, they have abated for the time being and Adamant is apparently concerned about what might happen to the court of the White Fountain when they inevitably resume. With that in mind, his Gabaldi proposed reinforcing the court with Adamant, and at this point I do not refer to the Eternal himself, but to the material, that unbreakable material that can be found only in the Summer Realm. As with the Adamant Gate in distant Summerhome, this would mean that the court of the White Fountain would become effectively indestructible. No matter how much strength was brought against it, the tower itself would never fall. Doing so is no minor undertaking, however. It would require the master of the Cabaldi to commission the project and provide ten rings of ilium. 
it would take the Capaldi three months to complete and also require additional magic. At the culmination of the project, Imperial magicians would need to perform the Hammers of the Brilliant Shore ritual. Once this was done, the fortification would be reinforced with a brilliant adamant, and as the Cabaldly, <laughs> as the Cabaldly, Cabaldi, apologies, sitting. I've said the word too many times today. Ah, as the Cabaldi, offhandedly remark, most likely outlived the empire it would defend. The Red Iron Door is another opportunity. There are signs of a great number of Trigoni massing in the tunnels deep beneath Lorenzo's deep pockets, here the sinkhole in lay terms, and that they may threaten Yaren, my home, Upwold, Temeshwar, and Hanmark. The Cabaldi believe the dangerous Trigoni infested tunnels of the great northwestern sinkhole can be sealed. If left unsealed, there should be at least a year before the Trigoni gather in enough force to be a major threat, assuming that nothing else changes. Now the Cabaldi, when visiting Hanmark, became aware of the Grand Sinkhole that catastrophically opened up in the Northwestern Empire in late spring 381. They are keen to have a proper look at it and prevail on a small group of adventurous types to give them a short tour. They are both horrified and fascinated and express concern about the number of Trigoni that they can feel massing in the depths of the sinkhole. Serious concern. They seem to think that the excavation of the sinkhole, and especially the construction of several structures related to Crystal Manor in its vicinity, have attracted great numbers of the burrowing beasts to the vicinity of Lorenzo's deep pockets. They've no idea when the Trigoni will attack, but they think it is likely that within a year or so, a legion of the subterranean horrors will pour out of the ground and attack mines and manor sites across southern Hanmark and Temeshwar, and of course throughout northern Upwold and Miaren. In response to some immediate panic when they mention their observations, the Cabaldi apologise and explain that they may have overstressed the danger, but only a little. While the Trigoni threat is growing, it's not an imminent threat. Unless something changes, something that angers the Trigoni already gathered or prompts a feeding frenzy, there's at least a year before there's enough Trigoni behind the sinkhole to be a major threat. Unfortunately, they're pretty sure that sending troops into the sinkhole to deal with the Trigoni is exactly the sort of thing that might cause them to come boiling out and try to eat everybody's faces. If the Empire wants to head off this potential disaster, albeit a small-scale disaster, the servants have a solution. Somewhere in the depths of the sinkhole there is a shaft that leads unimaginably far down into the earth, where the Trigoni seethe and multiply. Something posited by Snowstorm Henk when the Orc Scholar explored the sinkhole last winter. They believe that sealing the shaft will greatly reduce the threat of the Dragoni, especially if the right kind of seal is applied. They are no strangers to dealing with 
hordes of terrible underground monsters. I believe that some of the runes carved into the ancient tunnels might suggest a way forward. They proposed to construct a great door of mithril, alloyed with green, iron and orichalcum. This would be marked with thousands of runes, primarily Veris, Tikonos and Feresh, and then manoeuvred into place in the great depths of the sinkhole. Creating the door itself is a challenge, but something the Kabaldi are confident they can achieve. The door would require a commission from the master of the Kabaldi and cost 10 wains of mithril and 25 ingots, each of green iron and orichalcum, and also take three months to complete. Once the door has been constructed, and they are keen to stress it is a very big door, then putting it in place would require a significant armed force committed to assisting them. If not an actual imperial army, then at least a significant force of trained warriors. Once the door were in place and the shaft sealed, the threat of the Dragoni in the Northwest Empire would be nullified. It would also allow the Delver of the Depths to send their workers into the deeper parts of the sinkhole without anywhere near as much chance that they will be eaten by underground horrors, potentially increasing the revenue from the sinkhole. Furthermore, once the door has been tested and proved successful, the Kabaldi proposed to share the secrets of its construction with the Empire, allowing Imperial miners to make use of the runes and magics involved to create their own anti-Dragoni seals, greatly reducing the threat of the armoured monsters to mines and mana sites across the Empire. Well, quite a list of opportunities, dear citizen, and as I can see your eyes fluttering shut and your comfort certainly disturbed by my rant. Allow me to summarise it in case you nodded off at any point. There are a variety of opportunities available to us thanks to Adamant and Eternal of Summer. We can build the Tower of the Dragon, a fancy tower for the Archmage of Summer. We can build the Gildenheim Deep Forge, a rune forge designed to make magic items specifically for Imperial Orcs. The Deepworm Airy can be used to overlook the mountains of Miyakova and defend the icy crag of the Eternal Sun using magical, well, Deepworms. There are three great beasts that can be constructed, a boar in Mornwald, an owl in Weirwater, and three magpies in Wintermark, all of which will have benefits in the local territory for miners. We can girdle the flame, where the court of the White Fountain, an a, uh, important imperial part of Urizen, would be transformed into adamant, making it indestructible. And then finally, we can seal the sinkhole known as Lorenzo's Deep Pockets. Now, I'm afraid that should we travel today, well, today or even together, citizen, that I will continue rambling and continue telling you stories of what I have learned in the last few months. And seeing your silent type approach to our conversation, I am going to assume that you would rather travel on alone, of which, of course, I take no offence. Should you want to 
say hello to me again in Anvil. Simply seek me out. I'm sure I will remember your face. But until then, and as I uh, stretch my tired arms and legs and prepare to move on once more, keep your dagger close and ensure that when you hear tapping in the dark, it's a friendly Kabaldi and not a trog.